This morning, if you uh, will turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. We want to we land this morning right there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And, of course, this is Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, it's Jesus' first big sermon. He's already preached one, uh, which is repent and believe. But, but here is a, a, a really lengthy sermon that we get in Matthew and in many ways, Jesus is, is honestly showing Himself to be the new Moses. Just as Moses would ascend a mountain and receive from God His instructions, now God Himself ascends a mountain and gives instructions uh, to us. And so notice these words here found in uh, Matthew chapter 7. We'll just read 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. We pray this morning that as we've read this Word and as we talk about and think about what You've provided here, we pray that You would enlighten us, that You would challenge us, and that You would spurn us to act and respond to You today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What does God want? <laughs> you know, maybe you ask that sort of question in your, in your daily life often. What does my wife want? Sometimes I've asked, what, I mean, what do you really want? What are you trying to get at? I, I'm, not, I'm not tracking, what do you really want? Uh, or maybe at your job, you know, your boss is kind of doing this thing where he's not being clear. You say, hey, what, what, what do you really want? Um, for our kids, what do you really want? You know, I mean, with a crying baby, you, you wish they could talk. And then once they start talking, you wish they could be quiet. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're wondering, what do you really want? And so this, this question about God's will. What does God want? And, and maybe, maybe that should be nuanced a little bit because, you know, truly... By definition, God doesn't need anything. I mean, if you just look up the word God, that means that He doesn't need or want anything. There, there is no, there's nothing lacking in God. So it's almost a, a play on words to say, what does God want? Except for the fact that in the Bible, we don't have a, pardon me for this, deistic sort of God. <laughs> If you're not familiar with deism, deism is the idea that yes, there's a creator God. You know, yeah, we believe there's a God, and that's clearly seen by the designed world and the designed body that all of us have. Uh, So there's definitely a creator. There's also moral order. But God doesn't interact with us. We just, it's up to us. I mean, we just live the best we can. And at the end, he'll 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 catch us on the on the flip side, sort of. Uh, he doesn't really interact. He doesn't he doesn't rend the heavens and come down. He doesn't he doesn't break into our world and do miracles. Let's just stop all that silliness. 
Instead, yes, we can affirm that. And you know, many people say, oh yeah, well that's obviously not Christianity. Um, but many people sort of have a practical deism working in their life. I mean, you believe in God. It's not that you don't. You believe that there's morality in life. You've seen it. You've felt it. But at the end of the day, we really just don't give God any room to work. We don't, we don't act as if He can break into our world any moment. We act as if He's safe. We act as if He's just our buddy and our pal that's just kind of tagging along for the ride. But that's not the way the Scripture ever envisions God. Especially in the Old Testament. I mean, just like with your kids, when you're, when you're, when you're raising small kids, you can't be their pal. They'll get electrocuted. You can't just say, oh, what an awesome thing to do. Wet your hands and stick it in the plug. You know, that's the, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely stop. Um, you know, the other kids are laughing when somebody runs out in the street and acts crazy. Parents are not. We're freaking out. In the Old Testament, God is our Father. We are the children. And He's very strict. And a lot of times we don't really like the Old Testament. We kind of we uh, start reading in there and we're like, man, this is, this is tough. I mean... Just to hear from God, they would have had to have prepared sometimes seven days in advance. I mean, just imagine if in Christianity, I told you, look, you can't even come to our worship service if you haven't prepared for three days. If you've not stopped doing these sorts of things for three days, you can't even come into this house of worship or else you'll die. That's pretty harsh. And when God descended upon the mountain, He said, don't even touch the mountain. Don't even get near it. I'm not safe. It's dangerous. The priest, as you know, the high priest, could only go in the Holy of Holies once a year. And when he did, every time he did, they would tie a rope to him that had bells on it just in case he died. Because nobody else could go in there. And they would pull him out. That's how serious it was. And yet, today in our services, it's not that serious. And today in our world, it just seems not that big of a deal. Maybe he's rescinded. Maybe he's kind of backed off a little bit of that harshness. Maybe. Or maybe we've just forgotten. So, I, I ask again, what does God want? I mean, I think put simply, He wants us. I mean, He actually wants us. It's, it's really the most insane idea ever put out there, ever proclaimed. You, you realize no other religion proclaims what we proclaim, and that is that God chases after us. That's embarrassing. To have, to have a divine being chasing after humans as if He's in need of something, as if He's, if he's lacking something, and yet that's the picture in the Bible. That's why Christians were made fun of in the ancient world. None of the gods cared anything about humans. They are the servants of the gods. They feed the gods. They're at the beck and call of the gods. But in the Bible, God is seen coming to us, coming after us, making Himself lowly, becoming a servant, getting down on His knees and washing His disciples. This is God, the same God that said, don't touch the mountain. It's the same God sitting there washing their feet, being crucified naked. 
you know, this is, this is almost embarrassing except for the fact that He loves us that much. You see, He's not like any of the other gods that are put out there today in the myths. He's not one of the other gods. And what He informs us in Deuteronomy is, look, there's actually not any other gods. I'm actually the only one. There's no one beside me, there's no one before me, and there's no one behind me. I'm it. And if that's the case, then there's only one way to live because there's only one God. And He designed the world in a certain way. He designed the humans in a certain way. And we must operate under His rules, not our own. It doesn't matter what our government votes into law or or the moral sphere. It matters what God's law is. Yes, Paul says, absolutely, obey uh, the government. But at the same time, it's understood not at the expense of God's law. Paul himself was put into prison, was he not? For disobeying the state. Now, we're not talking about revolution necessarily, but we're saying this, and that is that God's law trumps anybody's idea or anybody's consensus. And so what is God's law? What is His will? What does He want? Well, the Bible is a story of God, as we've said, coming after us. He wants us, which is, which is again, just mind-boggling. He actually likes you. I mean, we, we talk about all the time, God loves you, and we feel like He just... That, that's expected. You know, if He made us, he, He's got to love us. But... You know how it is. You, you, you may love somebody, but you don't really like being around them. I mean, I love some of my family members, but I wouldn't invite them to certain things. Uh, you know. So, God is, is a God who not only just loves us by requirement, but instead, He actually likes you. He likes the way you are. He likes what you do. He likes what you like. And, you know, he's just shy of being obsessed with you. Put rightly, he is in love with you. Here in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone. That's, that's really some powerful words right there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. That means in a room like this, not everyone. In a city like this, not everyone. At your work, not everyone. That should not only just strike us, but it should burden us. Amen. There are people that will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, there's plenty of discussions about hell and its eternality. At the end of the day, Jesus is very clear. The flame is eternal. And you know, almost you hate that He used that. You wish it was annihilationism. That people were just annihilated. I mean, if you like the doctrine of hell, something's wrong. And yet, we believe it. Just as I don't like to have to discipline my children. I'd much rather just 
them obey and they get what they need and want. But I must for their own sake. And there is a place for those who reject God. There is a place for those who do not want to be with God. And that place is hell. When Jesus says in verse 22, on that day, there's a little bit of a play on words here that really should take you right back to the Old Testament. Where constantly the prophets are saying, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And it's described in many different ways. You've heard it before in your reading. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is the end. It is the judgment. It is the final day. And so when He says, on that day... He means on judgment day, many will say to me. And again, this is, can I just point this out? This is Jesus talking right here. He's, at, he's in front of a lot of folks. They're at the tail end of his sermon on the mount, and he says this. Just put yourself in that situation, and he says this Many will say to me on that day, almost as if he's looking into the future, huh? Lord, Lord. In other words, they will say it with their mouth. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe He died for my sins. Absolutely. But they don't just say it. They've even got some works to back it up, don't they? Prophesy. I mean, have you ever prophesied in God's name? You ever proclaimed His name? Preached it? I mean, that, you, know, you can take prophecy to mean that here. You ever cast out demons? These folks have. Done mighty works? These folks have. They've got the verbiage. They've got the works. What are they missing? Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from Me, you workers of lawlessness. That's really sobering. That's that's tough. I mean, it kind of brings everybody in the same level playing field though, doesn't it? person behind the pulpit as much as the person in the seat. Any of us could be playing a game this morning. Any of us could be hiding things this morning, even from ourselves. And Jesus, in the clearest terms possible, says, you must know Me. That's what God wants. God wants you to know Him. It's what the whole Bible is about. It's it's God's own letter to us. Written in words that we can actually sit down and read. And He's provided everything possible for us to know Him. He's made the way possible that this morning you can know Jesus Christ. And, here's the good news, you can know that you know Him. I... That's actually good news. It's not one of these things that we have to kind of guess. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm Christian. I, I guess that I am saved. No, 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 no. We can know that we know Him. I'm talking about the most important person in human history. I mean the most famous person in human history. I mean the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We can know... Jesus. <laughs> I, you know, my life verse 
And I say this all the time that I like verses, you know. And I, I say, this is my favorite book. I say that constantly. But this is really my life verse. And it's John 17, 3. Jesus says, He's actually praying, right? This is the last prayer we have recorded from Jesus in John. Uh, after this, He goes straight to the cross. And He says, For this is eternal life. So, in other words, this is what eternal life is. Life eternal. Knowing Jesus Christ and the Father. That's what eternal life is. is knowing Jesus. Knowing the Father. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is in you. That's, that's quite a salvation, isn't it? I mean, you know, every, this never gets boring to me because I still don't understand it all. But you know what? Understanding is not a prerequisite for owning it. For having Jesus in your life. Thankfully, He doesn't say, take and understand, but take and eat. Go and do. We don't have to have it all figured out. You didn't have it all figured out when you got married, but you still were married. You didn't have it all figured out when you had kids, but you had them. And so too, with our relationship with Jesus, what is most important is that we have a heart to know Him. The rest will come. The rest will come. We don't have to worry about, oh, you got to do this. I mean, because some people, well, they'll, try to, they'll try to load you up. Oh, yeah, well, you got to pray, and then you got to do this. Make sure you do that. And no, oh, yeah, don't forget this. And also, make sure you don't go to any R-rated movies. Don't do that. We're talking about knowing Jesus. That is what life eternal is. What does God want? He wants you to know Him. And by knowing Him, love Him. Jesus says, I can sum up the entire Old Testament with two statements, two commands. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, he says, hangs all of the law and prophets, which, i.e., the Old Testament. What does God want? Very clearly, He wants us to know Him to love Him. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to be saved. Because He alone saves. But you say, well, you know, what is the will of God, however, for me particularly? I know that's the kind of general, that's for everybody, right? And it is for everybody. Uh, The Scripture is very clear about this. Um, but what is God's will for me particularly? Maybe you're asking, what is God's will for me in this specific situation? And, and you know, quite frankly, we all are, are at you know, any given time, any given week, we have different decisions to make as parents, as kids, as, as adults, as you know, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. We've got decisions to make. And so at the same time, you kind of have God's overarching will, but also His specific will in certain situations. And sometimes that's really difficult to decipher, to uh, ferret out. So how do we do that? What does the Bible provide? Does the Bible talk? You know, How do we know God's will? Just like I asked the kids a little moment ago, how do you know what your parents say? Uh, or want? Well, they tell us. That's how. What, and, and doesn't God tell us in His Scripture? 
Doesn't he? I love the answer here that one of the kids gave. In my heart. That's how I know what to do. And isn't it true? Don't we feel these, these impressions at times on our heart? Go speak to that person. I mean, I've had it so strong before that I, I, I couldn't... I mean, I, you know, I've told you before, uh, I messed up driving and this lady got mad and I, you know, I was trying to, to not see her in the grocery store because I was there and she was there and then all of a sudden I kind of bypassed her without saying anything and I left to come to church of all places and, and I couldn't even make it out of the parking lot. The impression was so strong. You better turn around. So I did. And I ran to the store to find her to apologize. Uh, that's on me. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, uh, and, and the Lord told me I couldn't go do the service until I caught you. That's an impression. Yes, God speaks in our hearts. But haven't you also been led, led astray by your own heart? I know I have. I, I've, I've known for sure that God has spoken to me and this is, this is concrete. This is it. And it wasn't it. And I was wrong. That's why you'll notice, very careful, if I ever come to you and I say, I really know that God wants me to say this to you, then I, that's, there's a lot behind that. That's not just, I'm not just throwing that out there for free. Um, you'll rarely hear me say, I know that God, that's, yeah, i got to be clear on that. That's not, I know there's a lot of people out there who do that often and are wrong, and I, you know, they end up questioning that. I normally say, look, this is what I'm seeing. This is the best I can do. There's really four things I want to offer to you uh, to help in times where, where you're trying to make those decisions. Where you're, where you're trying to find... We, we, I hope we know the overarching will of God, which all the other stuff is, is kind of second. All this stuff we're talking about here is really second. What kind of job you have, what kind of car you're going to buy, what kind of house you're going to... These things are secondary to knowing God and loving God. That's the primary stuff. Alright? The rest of the stuff is important, yes, very important, uh, but is secondary to those two things. Those two things must be primary. Then we can do this. The first thing is to pray. If you've got a decision, you've got to, I mean, submerge that need in prayer. Baptize it in prayer. Literally. Bathe it in prayer. Get other people praying. Share that. Be, you know, hey, I've got this decision I need to make. I need you really praying for I need to know that you're going to pray for this. Um, look, don't go to somebody that's going to gossip. Don't go to somebody that's not going to pray. You need to go to somebody that you... There are people, if you don't know them in our church, there are people who will cry out, I mean literally cry out to God on your behalf. If you don't know who they are, I can direct you to them. And they will keep it confidential, and they will... The more the merry when it comes to praying. Um... If you've got to sit, you've got to submerge that because what it's going to do is open your eyes spiritually. Amen. When you pray, that's an act of faith. And you begin to see things that are not physically seeable. You'll begin to see things with people that cannot be seen on the outside, but on the inside. God will open up the heavens and let you see some things that you could never do on your own. He's not going to do that just to anybody. It's going to take much prayer, a life of prayer. And doesn't Paul say, start praying and don't stop? This is what, you know, one, the one thing in the Bible that you know, you're supposed to do until forever and ever 
I mean, even when we get to heaven, I think we'll still pray. Why? Because praying is talking to God. You think that's going to stop when we get to heaven? Even Jesus, who is eternal, He prayed. He prayed. That's almost insane to us. And yet, you know what He's doing now? You know what His primary job is right now at the Father's right hand? I'm talking about right now, as we speak, He's sitting there and He's praying for us. He's praying for me. Lord, help Marshall. Speak the words of truth. Help people to respond. Help the music team. Help the kids. He's actually praying for Harvest Point. That is, I don't, I don't even know how to process that. Prayer is the Christian life. And when we pray, we commune with God. And great things happen. The second thing is this. Not only prayer, but Scripture. You've got to go to the Scriptures. If God's going to really speak clearly, it's going to be through His Word. That's the clear... We can all be wrong on impressions. Impressions can, can, can be wrong. His Word is never going to be wrong. His Word is going to last for all eternity. So when we open up the Scriptures, we're opening up a surefire communication with God. And, he, and the Holy Spirit will meet you in those times of reading His Word. It is His Word. So if you've got, again, something, you know, you're praying about what is the will of God on this, you've got to go to the Scriptures. The third thing is others. Going to other people. People that you know and they know you, and they love you, and you love them. Not just some random person. Instead, it's got to be people who know you, because when, when we were praying about church planting uh, back eight years ago, early nine, um, I asked my professor, I was in a small group with, with uh, Dr. Oswald, and I just you know, I said, hey, this, you know, this is something we've been praying about. I mean, what do you guys think? On the, and he said, you know, he said the, I'll never forget what he said. He said, the marshal I know this would fit. Never forgot those words. Those were words that were given to him from God. In, in the process of church planting, I shared this yesterday at our membership class. I was told, think about church planting. I didn't even want to think about it. I didn't want to go that route. That's not what I wanted. I knew I didn't have the gifts. I knew I didn't have the ability to do it. And it wasn't on my radar. It, God put it on my radar through another person. How many times in your life has God said something through somebody and you knew it was Him? You could deny it all you want, but you knew it was Him. Almost sneaky. The Scripture would not use the term sneaky, but instead, He works in mysterious ways. Doesn't He? The fourth thing is this. Look at your circumstances. What doors are open? What paths are clear? Take those paths. My dad always says a very wise thing. He says, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Don't go off and go somewhere into unknown territory. You know, if it gets foggy, don't push the gas. Stop. Do what you know you can do. If you can't go 70, then go 5 miles an hour. Go slowly. Slow it down. Look for open doors. Look for paths that, are, that open up. Now again, any one, if you're just taking one of those things, I, I wouldn't be 100%. If all four are firing, prayer, Scripture, when, you, when you're going to other people, submitting it to them, saying, hey, I'm submitting myself to you guys. What do you really think? I'm going to listen and do what's going to happen here. When I got married, I asked my dad. I said, hey, 
what about this girl? He said, bada bing, bada boom. Better get her while she lasts, you know? Um, he saw what I was seeing. And, and the door was open. She, was, she actually wanted me. And when I prayed, all I could think about was our life together. When I read the Scriptures, I knew it was right. It's 100%. I knew God called me to marry Jessica. I, I, I mean, that, that was one of those moments where I could come and tell you. I said, I absolutely know He called me to her. And I absolutely know He called me to this church. That, that's as sure as my right hand is. And there's not a lot of things I'm sure like, like that on. But those things, those big decisions, I'm working this for, in this quadrilateral, if you will, just to be fancy. I'm working it. And so must you to find the will of God. His will's a funny thing, though, sometimes. Sometimes you'll be surprised at what's happening. You won't understand. You won't, maybe we'll never understand in this life. Are you okay with that? Because that's what the Scripture calls us to. Bo, when he was a couple years back, he fell off a chair, busted his eye open, and you know, it's the second kid who's done Four boys in the house, people are going to bust their eye open all the time. You know, screaming now is not like red alert. That's not DEF CON. You know, we're not changing the levels. Um, you know, it's got to be something different than a scream. You know, if everything gets silent, then we know something's wrong. Uh, he busts his eye, bleeding out like crazy, you know. Throw him in the van. We're rolling to the doctor. He's screaming. He's scared. You know, we, we get there, and, you know, obviously it's going to be stitches. And I, and I knew it once to happen. It was going to be stitches. And so they lay him on the table, and, you know, the, the, the doctor says, okay, we're going to need to bring in some nurses here. And, Dad, I'm, I'm going to need you kind of to just kind of lay over him because, you know, I want to be, I want to try to do it to where it's not going to create a scar here, you know, on the stitches. And so I want you to really bear down on his arms, and somebody's got to hold his legs. And so there's probably six adults around this little bitty guy, Bo, you know. Uh, and, and he is screaming. People are touching him. People are holding him down. He doesn't understand what's going on. And I'm all up in his face trying to tell him I love him. I mean, I'm literally bearing down on him saying, buddy, just trust me, just trust me, just hold on, just I love you, this is going to be over. Do you think at that moment he says, okay, Dad, I appreciate that advice, man. I'm going to take you up on... That's the response. Anger, confusion, doubt. Why are you doing... Why are you letting other people do this to me? And then here comes the syringe of all things. You know, this big needle. Ah, 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 you know, and, and, and holding his face and he's darting his eyes and trying to get out of the situation. And, and here comes the needle right to his eye. And I mean, in that moment, you're thinking, he's thinking, you know, what in the world is happening? My own dad is letting them hurt me. And maybe you can say, well, you're a bad father, man, to, to allow them to do that to your kid. Don't we find ourselves in those situations with God? Amen. We ask Him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. And maybe we've screamed at Him. That's alright. He's our Father. We can do that. That's okay. The psalmist, trust me, if we could hear inflections, he's screaming half the time. Where are you, God? I'm in trouble. Where are you? And as they finished up with Bo, the outcome was he barely has a scar at all. You can't even hardly see it. He's healed. But he had to go through the medical procedure 
He had to be cut. He had to be sewn. He had to be poked. He had to be prodded in order to be healed. Now, I'm not saying that's a panacea for every situation that you meet. But I'm just offering it to you to show you that sometimes our sight is very limited. And if we could see, God is in our face saying, I love you. If you'll just trust me on the other side, this is going to come out in your favor. In Jeremiah 29, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and to give you a future. And then he drops the bomb on them, but first you're going to go into slavery. You're going to go to slavery for 70 years. But then I'm going to bring you back. You'll be a new person. You know what? The Jews never returned to idolatry after the exile. He healed them. The surgical procedure worked. Now they had other problems, but not idolatry. Not outward idolatry. It became inward idolatry. Do you want to be healed? You've got to trust God. That's, His will is, again, Him. Him and you. The rest is secondary. Can we obey His will? The Scripture affirms yes. Yesterday I just went and, and Googled, you know, will of God. Hundreds of verses dealing with the will of God. And a lot of them are saying, saying and calling us to obey. If He's calling us to obey, He's not playing a game where He's on our back with a carrot out here that we'll never be able to get. But instead, He's calling us to do it. Not just, we need, some of us need to stop thinking about it and just do it. You already know what to do. It's already in here. You've already been, you're just suppressing it. It's time to act. It's time to do it. I'll end with this. My brother and I used to, uh, used to play some video games back in the day at Nintendo uh, when it first came out. And so we'd be playing, and, and my dad'd say, Okay, I'm about to run an errand. I'll be back in about 30 minutes. I want the clothes folded. I want the dishes washed. We say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got you. We got you. Did you hear me? Yeah, yeah. We got it. We got it. We got it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, what happened? One more game. One more game. One more game. One more life, right? And next thing we know, we hear the garage door opening. We're scrambling to wash it. He comes in. What's the first thing? Did you not hear me? Now, of course, we audibly heard him. It came through our follicles and was interpreted by our brain. But what he means by hear is obey. And in the Old Testament, the word for hear is to obey. I guess my dad knew Hebrew and didn't know it. Are you hearing His voice? Have you heard from God? You better do it. You better do it. He is our Father. We are the children. Our job is to say yes. And one way we do that is by partaking of a meal that He has prepared for us. This is His meal. This is His body. This is His blood. So as we respond to God this morning, say yes. Even before He tells you what to do, say yes. Remember what the kids said over here? You know, hey... Do it before you're actually asked to do it. What if you just said, you know what, you're trustworthy, God. I'm going to ask you a question here in a second, but before I do, I'm going to say yes beforehand. Yes, 
Now, Lord, what do you want me to do in the church? Boom. That's where we should be as His children. Amen.